So, hi, and welcome to the Music Ally podcast, taken from the Music Ally weekly TV show, which runs live on uh, Zoom every week as a panel show. And you can find out more information at musically.com. This week, we spoke with three people uh, about how to use YouTube in a more constructive way and more up-to-date way to help artists connect with their audience and maximize not only the impact creatively, but also the revenue from all of that new creative content. It's a really fascinating discussion, and I hope you enjoy it. Now, um, this week's topic, we're talking about something that was uh, in um, Music Ally's recent Sandbox report, 249, uh, what music can learn from YouTube's biggest channels. So perhaps we can go around the panel, and uh, you can introduce yourselves and your role, and briefly explain what your sort of current relationship is with um, music and YouTube. Uh, Rosie, can we start with you, please? Sure. I'm uh, the president of Tommy Boy. I have uh, quite the intimate relationship with YouTube. (laughs) Keeps me up at night sometimes. Uh, And I oversee most of Tommy Boy's uh, businesses with Tom Silverman and have been working with Music Ally probably for about two years now on growing our, um, our YouTube platforms and just monitoring other uh, DSPs. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Uh, Hen, let's, let's, let's go to you next. Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Hen and I work for CD Baby, which is uh, uh, the biggest distributor of independent music in the world. We work with about a catalogue of about 9 million tracks, um, but then also within our collection of company we, companies, we have a company called Sounddrop and a company called AdRev, which is also YouTube specialization company. Um, my relationship with YouTube is mostly advising DIY musicians, small labels, managers on how to how to optimize their YouTube videos and channels and what type of content works across YouTube. Great. Thank you. And uh, last but by no means least, Patrick, you are SVP of Digital Strategy at Music Ally, but how does that relate to YouTube in terms of um, artists and marketing? Sure. Um, so my background is uh, I was with AWOL for 10 years um, with with and without Cobalt. Uh, my background is digital marketing. So obviously used YouTube from the sort of content side. I've also worked on the content ID side, which Rosie could talk much more about as well. Um, but yes, I've sort of staggered from working with artists to actually use the platform publicly, but also um, helping, for instance, to set up when AWOL first got a deal, uh, setting up everything from the content ID side to make sure that everything's claimed and all the revenues flow back. So a, a bit of both worlds. Okay, so um, uh, what we'll talk about today um, shortly is we'll talk about the sort of the beginning stage of using YouTube as an artist, the creative side, and then take all the, that all the way through to the um, recovery of revenue uh, at the sort of back part of that. Now, uh, we will talk to Stu before we start the panel. He's going to cover a couple of this week's most pertinent and interesting stories. So in a section that uh, is uh, tentatively titled Stu's News, uh, uh, Stu, you are a uh, you are the music analyst editor, longstanding uh, journalist, uh, and um, it's it's you who sends out the daily um, emails, analysis, and and fortnightly and contribute to the fortnightly reports as well. And one of the things Stu's been doing recently is focusing on the positive, some positive news within this sort of very complicated and. Uh, uh, difficult period we've just entered into. So you've picked a couple of topics to discuss uh, this week. Uh, the first one being quite interesting, actually, which is corona- the impact the coronavirus is having on subscriptions and audio music streams. We've obviously immediately talked about live and how that's impacted, but what, what is the impact on uh, subscription music services? Yeah, well, this, this started a couple of weeks ago um, when there was, this, there was a headline. It was like, music streams are falling. And everyone ran around a bit, or, or if they're at home, just sort of running around their, their living room, panicking, sort of saying, oh, God, we thought everyone would be listening to more music. Now they're stuck at home and they're listening to less. What's going on? Um, and just so sort of, we've been following that and trying to get to the bottom of it. And the, the problem with it all is it's completely early to tell how people's habits are going to change. Like, we've all been at home uh, for maybe a few weeks now, and we're starting to set into a routine, maybe. I mean, I'm still kind of flapping about, trying to juggle homeschooling and working and all kinds of things. Um, but yeah, so there have been some data saying that, that audio streams are falling, but music video streams are rising, which might be because loads of children are at home. 
Um, there's been some data showing that it kind of bounces back and a few weeks into quarantine, people start listening to more music again. But no one's quite sure. But we're all following it, I think, because not because we're worried about streams getting less, but we're worried about what if people start cutting subscriptions? What if they start cutting costs and saying, well, I don't need a Spotify subscription or Apple Music. I can do without that. And I think we're all slightly nervously wondering if, if people are engaging more with video and games and less with music, does that mean they're more likely to hang on to their Netflix subscription than their Spotify mm -hmm. one? So I've been like trying to get to the bottom of that, really. Yeah, like you say, we're entering a sort of very uncertain period in lots of different ways. Um, and maybe uh, the, the impacts are unexpected. Uh, people, maybe you'd think they'd stream more, but maybe because you're not commuting, you're not trying to block out the person next to you in the office uh, talking, you don't listen to music so much. Um, and also people are making economic decisions based on uh, tightening their belts because of all sorts of reasons. Um, do, do we... Yeah, you know, with, with the with the idea that so artists are looking for new f forms of income at the moment, as is everybody. Do you think there's is it too early to make any suggestions? I mean, we're going to be talking about using YouTube later. Is mm. you know, artists seem to be pretty good at getting music onto streaming services and and recovering the money from that. Is it, would you suggest that they focus perhaps on on, on the visual streaming media? I think, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's like an enduring thing. If you could be doing more on YouTube, why not? Because there's there's money to be made on there. And the problem traditionally has been you, you kind of release a music video maybe every three months or every two months when the people who are making the money, and you, you're all going to talk about this more expertly than me, people who are making money on YouTube are the gamers, the bloggers, the beauty thing who are doing a video every day. Um, but yeah, but also getting music out. I mean, people who've got music sitting there, releasing it, and helping it to start earning money for them. That's one, one good thing to do. Um, but on the fan side, there is this thought of like, well, actually, if you want to support artists, there's a bunch of ways to do it now. Like there are some direct donation campaigns. You can buy their music. And there's a campaign today about Record Store Day or replacing Record Store Day, recommending which indie stores are selling online. And you can go and buy something by through artists. But also you can, I mean, pay for music, which is, again, not, this predates the whole coronavirus thing. It's like, if you want, royalties to increase your favorite bands pay for a subscription don't listen for free so that's why i think everyone's feeling a little bit nervous about what happens if everyone starts cutting costs and stops subscribing um but there was this so the reason i'm talking today is that there was a study this week from um nielsen music and mrc data and it was on i think it was they, they asked americans so it's a us only survey i think it was 24 percent of people said they'd added a new subscription to video and or games and or music in the last few weeks while they were on kind of quarantine. Um, and only 17% had cancelled one. So the kind of good thing is it's a net positive. People are, more people are adding new subscriptions and cancelling their old ones. But what we don't know is are they all adding video subscriptions and cancelling music or are they adding games things? Like there's not much data yet on what the economic impact is for us, I suppose. Yeah, it certainly seems like um, that if people are going to add anything in this period, they, they will add maybe video streaming because uh, they were looking for ways to entertain themselves in the evening and maybe people look at, I mean, this is hypothesizing, but maybe they look at music as a sort of something to consume throughout the day while they're working and, and perhaps they've already got that covered. Um, you made a good point there about artists taking this as an opportunity to take music that they have already and do something with it, which brings us very nicely onto the uh, next uh, news topic you um, had wanted to talk about, which is uh, the approaches of Laura Marling uh, and Lady Gaga. One of them brought an album forward and released it much sooner, and one has pushed it back. Um, well, first of all, can you explain who did which and why they did it? Yeah, sure. So, um, so Laura Marling was due to release her new album in uh, September, and she released it digitally last week so it's like literally bringing it forward five months um and the physical version is still coming out in september but it's on streaming and so on and she said it basically felt like the right time to release it and it was kind of a, a, a artistic decision that she wanted the music to be out there and to be kind of uh in the ears of fans and then lady gaga did the opposite way she's postponing this album with no date yet set for it um and she was saying she wanted to spend time focusing on finding solutions. And obviously she is, is really involved in this big concert happening tomorrow, One World mm. Together at Home. And it was, so what, I, what I'm, by choosing those two, I'm not kind of comparing them. It's not like one of them did the right thing, one did it. It's like Laura Miling is terrible because she's not focusing on curating a live stream. But it, it made me think, I was seeing these pieces pop up, like hot takes going, what will it mean for recorded music? Will everyone put their album back? And actually, Laura Marling brought us forward, Lady Gaga put us back, Dua Lipa didn't change hands at all, but 
about how she talked about how she thought about postponing it and then thought, no, people need disco music, which is kind of yeah. like it. Yeah. I mean, we had a dance on the kitchen to it and it felt a lot better. Um, but it does, it is making us think we don't know what the pattern here is going to be uh, in terms of how it affects recordings. And that's what you were saying. Like, it's not just about live dropping like a stone. There's no gigs happening. Mm. People are having to think, well, I had an album coming out in June and I had a tour planned around it. Now the tour's not happening. Do I still release the album? Do I put it back? So business stuff, but also I think there's like an artistic discussion where if you wrote 10 songs last year and you're about to come out an album, and now you're sitting here as an artist thinking, what's my response to what's happening now? You might prefer to kind of go away and write more songs and put something out instead. And it might feel like what you did last year is suddenly out of date. So there's like artistic and business things going on. I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to the albums that were due to come out between like June and the end of the year. Um, I think we're going to see quite a lot of stuff moving around. Yeah. And I mean, like you say, it is sort of early, a bit early to, to make a call on this, but do you think perhaps, and uh, th- there is a little bit of a sort of a hint at the two ways, perhaps, you know, superstars will go maybe on the, the take a step back, reorganize everything and still look for the large impact. And Laura Marling, who I'm not saying she's not a large artist, but she's not of the scale of, of Lady Gaga and Laura Marling is brilliant, of course, but she is, she can be more nimble and can make these decisions. And is that perhaps uh, a good sign for, you know, we can sort of say, well, the, 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 the big, huge artists have a lot of support and money and can take, afford to do that. But it's actually good news for smaller artists that they can actually be nimble and, and act instinctively and have increased success. It's true. And but there are things to worry about too. So yeah, I mean, I think if you're an independent artist and you suddenly have no gigs, getting music out to start earning for you on streaming services is a good thing. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's creating income. Um, but at the same time, if you've got a physical release coming out, does releasing an album five minutes early on streaming make fans less likely to buy the physical version? Because physical can be a really meaningful stream still for, for those. So it's kind of, it's, it's a really... I mean, I think it's one that, yeah, another reason why we should all be kind of feeling sympathy and trying to help artists because they've got these yeah. decisions to make that they don't know whether doing this will help them or whether it's going to kind of give them problems down the line. But I think what the other thing that's good, I think both Lady Gaga and Will Morning, they kind of talked, they wrote posts about why they've done it and they explained it to fans. And it was really interesting to me to hear just the artists talking about this decision. It wasn't like a team of marketing people in a room saying, we will do this to the album. It was the artist going, I want to put this out for this reason. I want to postpone this. And yeah. it's, it's just another sign, I think, of how it's good that we can hear from them and why they're doing this stuff um, and understand, yeah. I suppose, the plight, not the plight they're in. That sounds like they're victims entirely, but understand like the decisions they're having to make and they're really tough. Maybe, maybe one outcome of all this, um, again, it's very early to say, but one of the early signs is that what we're seeing is this, the, the decision-making and the connection between artists and fan getting even closer than before. It's, it's, it's almost forced people's hands, to, uh, the artist's hands, to, to become hand on, hands-on and to sort of say, okay, I'm, I'm, uh, I feel that this is the right thing to do because, let's face it, what difference does it make at this stage? And actually, that's kind of exciting and, and, uh, and, a, and a nice sort of relationship to have between fan and artist, right? Yeah, and I think the other thing is it's reminding us all of how, and this, is, this might sound like a really cheesy thing to say, but it's reminding us all of the importance and power of music. So I listened to the Laura Marling album in the morning, I was feeling super stressed, and it's a beautiful album, and it just it kind of got me in this place of feeling calmer. And I watched um, Sophie Ellis Baxter did a live stream of a disco birthday party in her living room, and she was singing Groove Jack, which is her famous yeah. song, and it just got me dancing around the kitchen. And I think that's what music is doing at the moment. Actually, it's, it's fulfilling such an important role I mean, culture always, you know, TV shows are full from this, well, everything, of just kind of keeping us, I don't know, keeping us kind of going. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the power of it. When, when I says we're going to put music out, it's great because it will be needed, I think. So, so we may actually be, you know, this may actually result, talking about the first topic again, this may bring us back to people realising the value of music and actually in, increasing. Uh, you know, we've had this immediate dip, but perhaps it will actually cause people to invest more, you know, even if it's just taking a, a monthly subscription because they realize the value of it. Like you say, you know, hearing some good music now gets you dancing around the kitchen and that's a great thing in these, in these difficult times. Yeah, it's a good time to put an album of disco bangers out. I know not every artist can, but you know, most <laughs> artists could do an album of disco bangers, I think. Uh, yeah, but- right. I think uh, artists like Burial are perhaps uh, wringing their hands a bit at the moment at the thought of that. <laughs> okay, uh, thanks, Stu. That's uh, really interesting. And if, and if you do want more analysis uh, from Stuart, he has this uh, daily email and subscribers to Music Ally uh, will receive that. 
and you can get a, a, a two-week trial subscription uh, if you go to uh, musically.com. Uh, now, Stu, I think uh, you're going to duck out now. Um, yeah. Thank you, thank you for joining us, uh, and uh, well, we'll see you, I guess, next week. So, uh, yeah. thanks very much. Thank see you. you soon, Stu. Good luck, then. Ciao. Uh, okay, and uh, well, it's just the four of us, and we're going to move on now to the main part of the panel, which uh, connects to Stu. What Stu was just saying, really, which is artists are now getting more hands on. They want to find new channels to connect to the people. They want to find uh, new ways to express themselves when they can't uh, command our attention on stage, and, and that seems like a good thing. So, this. Is is um, uh, connected to a topic in one of Music Ally's recent uh, sandbox reports, which is a fortnightly report that Music Ally does uh, and sends to subscribers uh, with uh, expert analysis on different topics every two weeks. Um, artists are investigating the use of video to create, grow, and nurture connections with fans during uh, the coronavirus isolation period. Uh, and so what can they learn from the biggest non-music and music channels on YouTube uh, and uh, the YouTuber stars? Um, so we're going to talk to the panel about that now. Uh, must say that uh, there is a Zoom uh, Q&A button, uh, which should be on your screens. Uh, if you have any questions for the panel at any point, drop them in, uh, hit the button, drop the question in. It can be anonymous if you want, and you can also upvote questions that already exist. So um, we can um, sort of yep. uh, uh, use questions as we talk. Yes, perhaps. please use the, uh, the Q&A. I'm watching that. I'm also watching the chat here. Um, Rosie, uh, Chuck Fishman says hi. He also pointed out a stat that his Shazams have gone up uh, in this time period, talking about stats that have gone up because of DJs actually playing his songs and, and checking them. Um, but yes, any formal questions, please put those in the Q&A so we can uh, keep in touch. Otherwise, you guys have fun chatting to each other and try and pay a little bit less attention to that to be on the videos. Okay, thank you, Patrick. Um, so, uh, well, let's 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 start at, at sort of the beginning then. Um, what, perhaps we'll go around the panel and we'll start, uh, uh, Rosie, with you. Uh, uh, what is the state of play with YouTube at the moment? Um, how people, how artists are using it to market music, how labels, perhaps in your case, are using it to market music, and uh, what are the learnings that, that, uh, that is the sort of finger on the pulse at the moment? Well, for us at YouTube, really, our feeling is we're feeling very optimistic about YouTube. And we're sort of projecting that YouTube could potentially become our number one DSP uh, in the near future. Um, it's a lot of work and something that we can talk about further later. Uh, but it is a platform where you literally get what you put in back out. So if you put time into it, if you have a great team, uh, but you need a team. So one thing we learned early on and uh, why we decided to bring Patrick and uh, you know, his team in because we realized it was way too much for just two of us. And Brian in our office really is the day-to-day -day person that deals with the creative. So we use YouTube, uh, first of all, as, uh, as a way of getting our content uh, um, watched, streamed. So it is definitely a priority for us and it's, it's, it's a big profit center for us. Um, but in addition, I think for it, it also helps us. Um, it helps us tell stories around our music. And Tommy Boy is. We've got two real. Uh, we've got two labels. We've got Tommy Boy Entertainment, which is new music and has some older things dating back to the early two thousands. And then we've got Tommy Boy Music and other catalogs that we've acquired. And uh, they really have to be managed differently. Uh, the new releases are very much based around release dates. It's based around uh, live events and artists doing live streams and things. And catalog is about telling stories, at least in, in our experience. And that means digging into the vaults and making sure that we're making everything available. Uh, so we use YouTube at Tommy Boy as a way to grow our... Um, I'd say our, our, the family, the close-knit people that really come in and check in with us on a daily basis, and we have direct interaction with them there. We don't really have that anywhere else. With Spotify, we can't comment back on people that love our music. With YouTube, we can. And so it's important that you use it as kind of like as a gathering rather than as a one-way voice. YouTube, you're going to hear what people like. You're going to hear what they don't like. Um, and it's and and they're loud if you listen and pay attention you're going to learn a lot from your audience on youtube so i think the first thing artists and labels really have to do is comment 
you know, share. Right. It all starts, it really starts with artists. It starts with the creators. All we can do is sort of make sure that we kind of uh, merchandise that properly. And, uh, but we're busy. We have brand new, we have uploads going up every single day on four or five different, five channels that we're managing right now. Right. Um, that includes lyric videos, uh, animated, art tracks, anything that we can do and we listen and we read our comments and we listen to our fans and if they want more you know we learned in the when we first acquired the Tommy Boy music catalog uh, in 2017 we started putting up all of the videos that we had access to well they were all clean because they were the videos that were originally created for MTV and immediately in the comments we started getting you know, very negative comments from people going, I don't want to hear a Capone and Noriega clean version. What the hell are you doing? And yeah. so <clears throat> we went back and Brian, it was painstaking and a lot of work, went and, you know, redubbed all of the clean versions with the explicit versions. And wow. so, you know, it's that kind of work that really needs to go into YouTube. But it's beautiful. If you can pay attention, you can read and you can interact with your with the users, you can get a lot out of it, which you can then spin into other content. Now we're seeing Spotify uh, asking for Canvas videos and we're seeing that there's uh, a lift in engagement when you create Canvas videos. YouTube made us really good at this. And so, you know, now as more and more people, Apple are asking for videos, Amazon is asking for videos. Um, you know, thank YouTube really for helping us get that house in order. Right, so, so really it's about, with YouTube, it's about creating a contextual uh, um, conversation that guides people in around the music through through whether that's video or comments uh, below the videos as well. Great, that's a much better way to say it. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, no, no, I, appreciate I wanted to to make, and I think I want to pass this to Hen for more of that front front yeah. line slide. I've said for years, and Rosie sort of just said it there. YouTube is the streaming service that you can control. Um, you've got to think about it like that. Yes, everything ends up there now, especially because they're getting rid of Google Play and YouTube Music has become a force. But I've always said this, and people need to think about it like that. It's the streaming service that you can control. So, of course, you can go through your distributor, you can go through your label, and your content will be there. But if you don't actually go into that platform and take the time to take control of it, like Rosie has just said here, um, it's going to do exactly that. You've got to put time, you've got to put effort, but you also have to think about this different. And I mean, we used to have endless debates, the companies I was in of where Spotify sat, working digital marketing, did that sit under digital sales? Did you, and YouTube was always this in-between platform because it's got these social features. It's got all of these digital marketing features, but it also has a content side and it kind of blew people's minds. But those people like Rosie and Tommy boy and Brian, who she shouted out here, um, understand that and understand navigating that and exactly we the people that understand this now are going to be the ones that win uh, as platforms evolve so uh, again this this sort of links back to what we were saying about this is an opportunity for for artists really to get hands-on with uh, with their content and how people connect with it and that actually brings us quite nicely to you and you're looking at this from the perspective of perhaps you know we've talked with rosie about the sort of um bigger established artists um you, but you we can look at it from your perspective dealing with smaller artists and and perhaps independent artists uh, what is the state of play for them what's a good way for them to um work with youtube in, we, in a, we work with artists ranging from bedroom producers up to to one streaming kind of 20 million a month on, on Spotify. So we have quite a big um, width of artists that we work with. And it just I, I just wanted to say also, I really agree with what Rosie was saying about the kind of community aspects of YouTube. I think that's such a valuable thing. And that especially really applies to younger artists starting to grow their community of fans, I think. You know, be, being able to upload a music video um, in its simplest form and having 10 fans commenting on it saying, I love it, I love it, I love it, or I hate it. And then for you as an artist to be able to go in and to, to comment and address those things and make the fans feel loved in a, in a different way. Um, and as, I think especially now with, with the whole current situation that we are in, we as a company are seeing an insane growth in submission from artists. Um, Rolling Stone published an article the other day where it was comparing us and a lot of our other competitors. And we're, we're seeing like, I think there was about a hundred percent album submission growth during this period. And we, we've seen the same kind of pressure around 
producing video content and where to put that video content and what kind of video content. Um, and I, you know, we, we encourage the artists that we work with to use YouTube more to, to, learn the functionalities of it but you know the small intricate things around things like how do you tag videos properly how do you you know build your channel area to make it look like an inviting place that people want to come and spend time and 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 subsequently how do you engage your fans and create that kind of content that's going to make them want to stay yeah so they get the immediate feedback loop they can it really gives artists the full control over or you know they can see what's working and make more of it exactly and it's it's such a powerful thing um the audiovisual aspects of it and also the fact that youtube is because is such a huge discovery tool outside the anglo markets i think it is really really important as well to point out okay great um i'm just gonna pull in a couple questions that we've had come in i've answered a few of them on text so thank you very much um but we had two that i think are, are quite good one is from chuck once again hi rosie uh, and the other one is from the wonderful Danielle that used to work with me at AWOL. Hi, Danielle. Um, they're two similar questions. So we're going to answer both of these live, I think, right now. But um, yeah, sure. Chuck has asked if the killing of messaging has actually hurt us in any way, the, the ability to message other channels. Um, my point on that is that every YouTube channel generally, if you go to the About tab, you might not know this, uh, there's a contact details and you can pull up the person's email address. So generally, you can message them that way. Yes, they got rid of that messaging. But to answer this other question, thank you, Danielle, uh, about the community tab. So they moved away from messaging, which is private and was a lot to deal with, like any artist's DMs, uh, and they've moved it into the community tab. And the community tab is very important. Um, and the way reason I'd say it's important is because YouTube says it's important. Um, remember, YouTube is this hybrid, and they see themselves as a social network. That's why there's commenting. That's why there's ability to respond back to people. Um, you will actually, um, I won't go specifically how, but it will mark you down if you do not use your community tab. So yes, a lot of artists don't go in there and take a look. There's probably already your audience talking in there. Don't let them talk into a vacuum and make sure that you use this platform differently uh, because of these chat and community features. Um, okay. And I will, yeah. Just jumping in on that community, Please. doing the research or like looking through all the, all the um, channels that was discussed in that sandbox article, I, I think I found my new favorite, which is WWE. It's absolutely hilarious. And there's so much good content. And that community, that community tab within WWE um, channel is absolutely fantastic. They post content every single day. It's dynamic. It's moving. It appeals to their core audience. And like every single post has about 200,000 likes because they, they understand their fan base and they engage with them actively. And, and we actually see the sort of wider social, Rosie, you've probably seen this, the wider social ramifications of WWE in America in that it's, it's, it, you know, there is this WWE audience which is, was overlooked and is now very vocal in, in all sorts of positive and, ne- and negative ways, of course. Um, and, and, but a great example of, of, a, of a, a platform understanding its people, which brings us uh, uh, nicely back to our topic. Um, perhaps what we'll do is talk a little bit about ways of um, what we've all talked about so far, which is ways of creating content with the audience in mind. And then we'll move on to the, the sort of the, the, the second stage of that, which is how do you, once you're making this better content, maximize the, the, the revenue that you recover from it. Now, in um, the Sandbox article, there was a quote from Timo and Holly from popular YouTube channel Kawaii Cunicorn. Uh, and they said that they think basically that the majority of musicians underutilize YouTube. If music, they said if musicians approach YouTube the way they approach other forms of social media, like Instagram, they might be able to increase their reach and their audience, including uploading more often, once or twice a month instead of every couple of months and doing things like tour diaries behind the screen, talking head updates or live streaming. Your music, music channels are generally very focused on music videos. We, we have this, you, uh, Rosie, you mentioned MTV. You know, the, it, we're still living in a sort of MTV approach in some ways to, to musicians and, and video. Um, do viewers and fans really want them to go all the way across to, from there, from being sort of, you know, the creators of these little discrete masterpieces to being YouTubers with, with endless churn of daily updates across, across the board. Um, perhaps we can start again with you, Rosie. There's, I don't think there's, there's two very discrete different I don't think processes. approach that works for everyone. I think um, what WWE does might not work for another artist that, you know, might not have as, you know, rabid a fan base. I think 
Um, it, you know, and it, so it really has to feel authentic and it has to be real. The worst thing you can do on YouTube is to try to do what someone else is doing because people will see through it, they'll call it, and uh, they'll call you out publicly. And so I think the one thing you can learn from YouTube is really try everything. But as far as what's possible and the tools that YouTube gives us, you can sell your merch directly from your video. You can link back, you can get subscriptions direct. No other DSP gives us that amount of control and that ability. Now they've added ticketing or it's coming real soon, uh, but you can sell tickets uh, right from you. So there's so much that you can do uh, that I think, yes, artists are absolutely underusing it. I think every single video should have subscribe links. Everything should have links to uh, to listen or stream or to buy merch. Um, and then you've also, in addition to creating those links, you have to go and analyze how the links are responding. That's the other big problem, I think, that I find that people have is, they build and they add all these links, but then they never go and look at the analytics to go, oh, well, this worked. Oh, well, this I'm never going to do again. And that's the most important thing that out of everything, what YouTube gives you is not just the control to do what you want and to sell what you want, but it gives you the feedback immediately. I can see how many views I'm getting every minute. You can't do that anywhere. At least indies can't do that anywhere else. Uh, and so... Absolutely, I think the most valuable platform for us. And I think if we can get the CPMs up, we're all going to be very happy about YouTube in the next yeah. few years. It sounds like it's, I mean, in, in a good way, it's a big job. It's, it's a lot of work there. Does, does that mean for a, if you are someone with a large catalog, you really need a dedicated team and strategy yeah. to? You need more than one person. I, you know, you've got, so with YouTube, you've got the business side, which deals with contracts and, and claims and content ID, which is a massive undertaking. Uh, and anybody that thinks they can just, you know, waltz in and master that is crazy uh, or really naive. But either way, they're gonna be sorely disappointed when they get in there and end up with, you know, flags on their channel that's gonna, you know, limit their uh, either, you know, what can be monetized, which affects your bottom line immediately, yeah. um, or Patrick's. Oh, just to carry on, one of the questions from the audience was, Reggie, maybe you can put this into your answer. Someone has asked us, are there negatives to use, using YouTube? Good question as part of this. I don't think there are any negatives. I remember, you know, when SoundCloud first launched and everybody was like, well, why are we going to build a SoundCloud page? You can't make any money out of it. And, you know, within four months, because we doubled down on it, we had about a million followers uh, on SoundCloud. I personally, I don't think there's a bad platform out there. I think it's really old school to think that just because we're not monetizing it today, uh, we're not going to monetize it tomorrow. I think, you know, just from my work with A2IM, I can tell you that our goal is to find a way to create a business around every model out there, including things like Twitch. And so right. it takes a while and we've got to be patient. But I say, if you're an artist, you really should think about being everywhere that your fan base is. If you go somewhere and it's crickets, no one's responding, go to another platform. Uh, yeah. Don't try to do it the way that someone else has done it because it worked for them. Find your in mind, perhaps. Um, Hen, let's go back to you and look at it from the, uh, the independent or the solo uh, artist's approach. This is all really good. It, it, it sounds really positive that you can, you can connect and give them what they want and you can interact and you can be there and do everything uh, in the right place. In terms of that, there is work there involved. And if you're doing it on your own, it's, um, it's, it could take a lot of time. How, would you, how do you recommend um, independent and small artists do that? I mean, being a DIY artist, it's, it is difficult. You have to wear an incredible amount of hats and, and educate yourself on a lot of different topics. Um, and I think maybe the mistake that I see very frequently with DIY and smaller artists is that they, they might produce one music video every four months, put it out, promote it around the release, leave it dead in the water, and then kind of, not like Rosie was saying, going in and looking at the data and kind of doing all the other work around it. Um, but I, th I think it's important that 
that people and that people think about that the frequency and the type of content can enable you know growing that community which again is going to grow your income stream which maybe one day leads to yeah. you actually being able to take on somebody to help you out um but as a DIY artist, absolutely. You have to be super scrappy. You have to rope in friends and family members and boyfriends and girlfriends to, to try to help you and to try to manage all those aspects of, of, of running a YouTube channel. Is there an element, element here? You know, I speak to a lot of DIY artists and artists starting out, some nascent artists at that stage. And I feel like what often happens is they do what you just said. They work really hard on one video. They put it out and then they're disappointed. Um, yeah. they, they perhaps don't feel... They don't, if they see some comments or they see some plays, they think it's not very much because they've seen you know, Lady Gaga getting a hundred million in a day or something like that. Exactly. How do, what are the, what are sort of realistic expectations? I mean, this is the classic problem in the music industry, of course, when you're starting out to, of, of setting expectations, but what are the sort of realistic expectations at that stage? We'll go to Hen and then perhaps you, Patrick, you can. You know, I, th- I think that's a bit like how long is a piece of string, you know? Um, yeah. It depends. It completely depends on so many different factors. If the video content is good, if the song is good, what you're doing to promote it. But I think with YouTube, like any other platform, you should be expecting to see that there's a there's a gradual build up, and so it should be. And as Rosie was pointing out before, that there's a return on your investment, right? The more time and effort you dedicate to that as a channel, and the more you nurture it, the more you, the more you're going to reap the rewards of it. Um, your f- first music video probably not going to get more than a couple of hundred views you know mm. but mm. definitely the goal is to keep growing that expectation yeah. per release and okay. and tying them all together in, like a continuous storytelling piece not just like dropping a video going dead and dropping another video six months down the line great thanks patrick so i'm going to try and answer four questions in one here um so one of the questions was and this was kind of relevant to everything we we're just talking about audience there is are you able to build up an audience using YouTube that is not just on their platform, such as subscribers, which we know a lot of walled garden platforms, uh, those that built up lots of Facebook likes a few years ago, and now we're trying to build up Instagram. What happens there? And yes, and I can answer two questions with that. It's really important because you've got a description feed. You've got links on your YouTube channel. And the top thing to do is follow, uh, send me an email address, subscribe. So of course you're trying to build YouTube subscribers on platform. That is certainly the, the native mechanic, the easy one. Um, but giving people links and options to go elsewhere is something that YouTube allows you to do in every single track and every single video. Um, following on from that, someone has said, uh, has asked about what the question is for um, static uh, videos. So like the idea of having just like art, art tracks. Well, art tracks is what YouTube does. So we'll call them pseudo videos. Um, you need a piece of content for everything that you upload. Like we said, it's the streaming service you control. So every time you release a piece of music and it comes out on Spotify, put something up. And as Hens just said, as an artist, sometimes they'll come up with a great video idea and they work really hard on that one. Sometimes it's just a little bit of an animated uh, album artwork and that's what they came up with but they put something up every time don't leave it to the system to do it all by itself um another final question that i'm going to try and answer into the same thing um was uh what do we feel about uh buying youtube views don't do it it's just silly um you can go in and use google ads for youtube and i'm gonna actually plug our learning hub we've had a few people ask about where learn.musically.com we've got a bunch of stuff but one of the things that we tell people to do uh we have a actual module called google ads for video where we've debated this big time of should we be buying those views and we're talking about when the video plays as a pre-roll like is it coming on when you're trying to watch something else no one wants to watch your ad no one does everyone's trying to hit the skip ad button so don't do that don't farm numbers uh numbers games is dangerous you're going to end up muddying your audience use video discovery ads they're very easy to set up um those will actually drive real views to your uh to your actual content and use ads as ads so make a teaser 30 second version of the music video that drives awareness around it because all i want to do is hit skip ad and watch the content that i wanted to to watch and i think i've just a bunch of questions you have congratulations in record time he's 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 only human folks um now if i can quickly add to that the one thing you have to keep in mind, which Patrick said at the beginning of, of, the, uh, of the panel, was YouTube really is, it's a video platform, but it's a streaming platform. And YouTube expects you to use it like a streaming platform. In other words, if you deliver an EP or an album to Spotify, you've got to deliver the same exact 
item to YouTube in its entirety. You can't pick and choose and say, well, I'm only going to put up the lead singles or that's a mistake. It's not the way that YouTube is designed. It's really designed to be a music platform and a streaming platform. And you're going to learn that real soon because Google Music and YouTube are now merging. And yeah. so, you know, it, it makes you think about what's coming, you know, and preparing for that. Most of the content is going to start being consumed on the artist channels or on the, you know, OACs as we call them. You know, it's great that Tommy Boy's got almost a million, you know, followers and subscribers on YouTube, but the, it, all these videos are going to end up when people are using Music Key, which hopefully more and more people are going to use they're gonna end up inside the artist channel. And so, you know, it's important to think about if you're a label, making sure that you're working with your artists and managers closely. Um, we have an amazing relationship with Naughty by Nature and they're probably one of the most active artists um, that we work with. And, you know, we very much work together in unison. Uh, and, but we, we, we know that the music's gonna ultimately end up being consumed on the artist channels. And so it's something you've got to start to think about, but put everything up on YouTube. Um, and yes, create art tracks if possible. For most of us, you make more money, actually slightly more, but you make more if you create your own animated art track. YouTube considers it higher quality content. Right. So, you know, we, and as far as how many people it takes, we've got, two to three people that are every are creating new content for YouTube every week around the original releases. And, and that could be art tracks or lyric videos. Um, we also work on translations. Translations are big, especially for big records like Gangsta's Paradise for us, um, or what it's like Everlast. Um, and you can uh, crowdsource those. So you can make it so that people can create their own translations. I say always turn those on. Yeah. Uh, but and that's, that's for the for the lyrics for for, for subtitles and yeah. uh, for, for the songs. Yeah. And you've mentioned uh, there, Rosie. You mentioned the money word, which we're finally getting around to, which is nice. Um, you know, we're creating all this content. Um, Hen, as you, as you pointed out, it's, you know, if, if you don't do anything with it, it, it doesn't have any impact. So once you've created this, you've, you're using YouTube in a better way. You're creating content for the audience in the way that they want it and demand it. What are the challenges around making sure you recover every last bit of money um, that you deserve for that? And what, and what have you been doing? Um, so for us, when, when artists or labels uh, uh, sign up with CD Baby and they want to distribute their music, they get an option whether to, um, whether to allow for us to collect YouTube income on their behalf. Right. Right. And uh, Rosie, uh, from your experience recently, um, I know that you've recently taken a different approach to YouTube with uh, part of your catalogue, the Amherst part. Um, what, what did you do differently? And what was the impact of that? Uh, Tommy Boy, well, in, a, you know, to, in addition to acquiring our Tommy Boy catalogue from Warner uh, a couple of years ago, we've, uh, we've been looking to expand our uh, catalogs by acquiring other catalogs. And so Amherst Records uh, is uh, a, a label that has artists like the Stylistics um, uh, and Van McCoy. And um, we took over that cat. Well, we acquired the catalog December of 2019, uh, sorry, of 2018. And we took it over from the orchard in September of 2019. Uh, September, between September and March, we've tripled not only the channel, but most importantly, the earnings of the channel. And again, it's about working with artists, working with managers. Uh, when we're dealing with catalogs where the artists are started recording in the 60s or 70s, it's challenging because in mm. some cases, those artists are no longer alive. Mm. Uh, and so there's how do you bring that how do you still create a channel that fans are going to want to engage and stick around with? Um, and so, you know, when we can, we work with managers to do that. Um, we encourage them to upload live video. We're again, very careful. One of the things that artists have to be careful about with YouTube is you can be penalized if you upload things that you don't own. Um, it can make it, your video channel could actually be blocked. Right. Uh, you continue to do that. So it's a very, some, somewhere where you have to be extremely careful hmm. and a lot of artists upload covers uh, and then they also upload their original music uh, or 
They, we, you know, with our hip hop artists, they'll freestyle over someone else's beat. Cool, fun, great, your fans love it. But if you try to turn on monetization, you're gonna get flagged, you're gonna get penalized. And if you get, I think, three of those, you're, you know, you're gonna get blocked and you're not gonna be able to monetize. So yeah. it's something where you do have to be careful. Right, but these are. I mean, but the exciting thing is these are highly creative decisions. You're like you. You it really uh, freeze creativity as an artist or as an artist team to to connect in in a, a very appropriate and exciting way. Patrick, you were part of. You've been part of sort of uh, doing some of this work uh, with Tommy Boy. Um, what, what, from your perspective, from looking at these channels and, and optimizing them, what, what's the sort of the key thing to know? So we just, we've had a question and I'm going to tie this in. I actually answered it on the chat, but people were asking and I just said, uh, please listen to what Rosie's saying right now. Thank you very much, Rosie. Um, <laughs> as though we planned it. Um, of, is it really worth building all these, art, these tracks that you've talked about, making a video for every, and we're not even going to go into your art track history. Yes, it is worth it. This is someone here that's telling you, and trust me, I'll let her speak more the catalog owner here or, or representative. Um, but yes, it is about the work that you put in. And yes, labels go, but it's so much work. I have to make a video for everyone. And somebody's just asked um, if I'm releasing 300 tracks a year, that's a lot of videos. There are, there are, there are tools that let you do it. Um, it's really easy to do in quick time. You can Google it. Like they say, it can just be static. Uh, it doesn't have to be animated though. Brian at times, Tommy Boy does some nice little animations there. Always a little bit better to make them a little bit jazzy, but you control the description. You also control what comes up and gets watched next. You get to control the conversation. But if you don't input in the conversation, it's going to go on without you. It's going to be auto delivered as art tracks anyway. Yeah. Um, and you're basically losing, well, audience interaction. And of course, at the end of the day, as Rosie's, I mean, we've, I'm not going to say numbers, but literally demonstrated, uh, it cut, turns out as revenue, but it takes a lot of work. And I mean, we just had a call yesterday for, this is why Rosie's on this show. I came to her TV show the other day for an hour where we talked about YouTube uh, more privately than this. He bludgeoned you into uh, taking yeah, Oh yeah, I did. I, I tricked her. Um, but we had a, I mean, that, it took an hour of a whole bunch of people's time that Rosie led this conversation, this discussion, and it's worth it because yes, we're actually on the end of it seeing that revenue is coming back so yes lean into this and one more that someone's asked uh, on here which um if anyone else wants to take this on for me was how effective is, is it for an amusing uh, an emerging artist very maybe uh, hen this is a good one for you as well yeah yeah i'll, I'll let this go on to him but it's very, very, very important for an emerging artist. YouTube drives discovery. It is where discovery comes from. Hand over to you. Sorry, it's, it's one of, uh, YouTube is definitely one of the biggest discovery tools in a lot of the biggest music markets in the world, be that India or Brazil or, or the States. Um, so incredibly, incredibly important. And also just, just completely agree with what Patrick was saying about controlling controlling the conversation, controlling the community, being able to, to add, you know, the appropriate titles and tags and being discoverable across these platforms is super important for emerging artists, you know, where you, maybe when you type your artist's name, you're not going to be the first 10, 20 videos that's going to pop up. So it's important that you kind of nurture that and slow, slowly build your own space within your yeah create playlists that's not really something that we've talked about yet and kind of curate your space yeah. um with 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 these music videos and not necessarily music videos per se the artwork videos you can you can still create you know album playlists and everything to keep people within your space and keep consuming your music and yeah. just, just you're them in. Rosie, did you have something you Just want to add say? add quickly, I see yeah. that uh, we've got Salento's manager has joined us. And that's a perfect okay. example. Someone said, you know, uh, 300 songs, that's too much. Well, I would say release less music and put more time into everything you release. It's really easy to hit the push button or in some cases it might be the flush button. And like you push junk out there, be more selective. And if you don't have the time to manage your YouTube channel, partner with someone that will, and that's going to manage it for you. And that's going to, you know, explain to you what you really should focus on. We let our artists deliver as much as they can. Some of them deliver videos, some deliver lyric videos, some only deliver the music. And then we work with them. We use their artwork in the lyric videos or in the animated. So it's very much of, if you can't do it, find the team that can help you. And if you feel like you don't have the time, release less music 
and focus on putting out better quality music because Salento is a perfect example of someone that went from zero to like a billion, you know, with one song, with one video. And so be patient. Uh, but the most important thing is what I think I started with. It all starts with great music. And uh, brings us right back to the start. It's a perfect. Uh, can, I, can I just also of course. I completely, completely agree with what Rosie was saying? And Cave Town um, is an artist that, you know, really built his career through CD Baby. And YouTube was such an integral part of his career development before he signed up to Warner, I think. Um, but yeah, it can, it can be such a powerful tool to help an artist just projectile into yeah. stardom, I guess. So, and, and it's worth pointing out as well for, for artists who are starting out, there are, you know, if they're thinking, oh God, I haven't got time to do lyric videos and, and this and that and everything, there are tools that can quickly generate this stuff for very small amounts of money that will max, you know, the return on that investment is, is enormous uh, over time, of course. Um, so I think uh, perhaps it's worth, we've, we've gone a little bit over and I'm aware, Rosie, that of course it's the beginning of the day for you, so I don't want to eat into your day too much. So perhaps what we'll do is we'll just wrap up a few points. Um, maybe uh, Patrick, you can answer one final question and then we'll, uh, we'll uh, exit uh, this event. Um, so, uh, uh, Rosie, I thought one thing that stood out for me was the uh, push versus flush uh, approach. Uh, so uh, quality is always better than quantity, although it seems like a really important thing to take away for everybody watching, whatever stage you're at, is to really double down on YouTube and look at it as a connection network and to, and to really nurture all those connections there and, and be patient. Um, that seems to be. Uh, Joe, we've just heard from uh, CEO of Music Ally, Mr. Paul Brindley. Uh, he's the bass player from the band The Sundays. Just I've heard of them. Contact, yeah. yeah. He said it's fine to go over. Um, I'll let you decide between the, uh, the people on the show that we've invited in, but our CEO says it's fine to go over. <laughs> really interesting. Well, I'm happy to carry on, but Rosie, I'm aware that you may have uh, lots of important things. I have an 11 o'clock call with okay. my CEO. And so unless he texts me within the next four minutes to say it's fine to go over, I think I'll just have to... How about this then? The Rosie, give, give us one final... Give, Rosie, if you'd like to give us one final very important thought and then we, we can allow you to gracefully exit and uh, maybe we can carry on ad nauseum. YouTube was our number fourth earner. They've become our number two earner. Everything that, you, that we've put in has been returned. I don't feel like we've wasted any time. I, don't, I feel like everything we've done has paid off. And so um, I highly recommend that you relook at YouTube and you take a new approach and you look at this as potentially, we're, we're betting that this is going to become our number one most valuable right. platform, the biggest earner. Uh, there's no more traffic. There's no, there's, there's no more traffic anywhere outside of YouTube. YouTube is it. If you want to, uh, grow your earnings, focus on it, make it a business move. It's not about promotion anymore. I know that, you know, we all kind of started coming to YouTube for the free views, artist development. Thank, thank God. That's not what it is anymore. And the CPMs are going up. YouTube is committed to making this, you know, uh, a profitable platform for us. So right. let's be patient. Let's, you know, trust Lior and his team. He's got people in there that care about music. Let's learn from them, by the way. If you're a partner, use the partner portal. That's great advice. Go there, watch the videos. You can watch videos on YouTube that teach you how to manage YouTube. You know what? There's no excuse for not doing well on that platform. And so thank you. Um, it's been a pleasure and, uh, I appreciate working with music ally. Patrick's great. He's also a lot of fun out at the pub after hours. Don't, don't massage his ego too much. He doesn't need it. Uh, but thank you. Ever so I really like Rosie too. And, and she was the first guest and we came actually the, the best thing was last we did a little private test that no one was invited to Hen might know about that. Um, and I said something about Tommy boy and Joe literally on air was, Oh my God, I love Tommy boy. And I go, what really? Kept, Cause they're kept like, my excitement behind yeah, this, uh, this dour exterior. Rosie. So Rosie, thank you so much. That was yep. really insightful. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on board today. Thank you. And, yes, and I will also say thank you for having two intelligent women joining your panel. I love the, the gender balance is really important to all of us great women in the business. So thank you. You guys get it. 
We love you. We love you anyway. Yes. Rosie, thank you very much. I will, uh, I will allow you to leave, but have a good call with your CEO now. Thank I'm feeling you. anxiety on your behalf. Okay. Thank you very much. Goodbye, Rosie. And uh, we will uh, perhaps continue here until, um, uh, until ad nauseum, I guess, uh, until one of us falls yeah, we've asleep. Still, we've still got 67 people. Um, I've been answering Great. some of the questions. One that I hadn't done yet. Um, is we had a bunch of questions about OACs, official artist channels. The person that's asked the question uh, said official artist partner channel. That's not the name. Official artist channel, OAC. If you look up official artist channel, Google has loads of documentation. It's Google. That's one of the best things about YouTube being owned by Google. They've got lots of resources for free. Um, so yeah, if you go look up official artist channel, they literally tell you how to do it. You basically either get in touch if you're on a major through your major label. Um, if you're independent, you can get in touch with them independently. Um, and and you basically just need a topic channel. You need an owned and operated channel like your normal YouTube channel. Uh, to have to have three, I think, official music videos. Every artist needs an official artist channel. Google Play is going away. YouTube Music, I mean, you just heard Rosie say it about revenue. If that doesn't convince you. Um, but YouTube doesn't necessarily favor label channels because of how it works. So think about it. It's this streaming service that you can control. So if you don't have an official artist channel, and again, just Google it. It's all over YouTube on how to get one of these. Um, if you don't have an official artist channel, then it's going to make impact your performance on YouTube music. When Google play goes away and more people are using YouTube music, yeah. um, you're going to see the impact. So this is get ahead of the curve, uh, lean in. How difficult is it to set up an official artist channel? Is this, is this complicated? Is so it, if not, you're an independent, if you're an independent not, artist, for yeah, yeah, it's not a set. It's actually easier if you're an independent artist. Um, and I won't say everything online because obviously this is very public. It's easier if you're an independent artist because there's actually a backlog at some of our major partners just because there's so many artists. Um, I Actually, just before this call, uh, hopefully he's on here, Azad, uh, who's one of my students in Norway. He just got himself an official artist channel. Uh, he's an artist called General Chez. Um, and he was like, what do I do with it? So what happens is you have, if you're familiar with a topic channel on YouTube, what an official artist channel does is takes your artist Vivo channel your uh, YouTube topic channel, which is the auto deliveries that come through your label and yeah. distributor, and it puts those all together into your owned and operated channel, the normal channel that you think of. You get that music note next to it, it becomes an official artist channel, and now all the content flows through from all of those partners to your official artist channel. So if you did like this panel, uh, Music Highlight does offer a trial subscription. Uh, you can get updates by email every weekday, uh, courtesy of Stuart Dredge. Uh, latest news on the digital music industry. Uh, there'll be fortnightly digital marketing reports in PDF format, which are fabulous, called Sandbox and monthly insight reports as well. And you'll get access to the full Music Ally archive. Uh, you can go to musically.com slash subscribe. For those of you who missed the beginning, this video will be on YouTube, uh, hopefully later today or maybe tomorrow or as soon as possible, basically. And we'll put it on um, our socials. People were asking about the link. We'll tweet it. We will we follow will us on Twitter, those things. We'll put it out there. Don't worry. It will also be available, uh, as hopefully, as a podcast as well. Music Ally has also recently launched a learning hub with over 30 or 30 plus videos of up-to-date, fully certified learning content. Uh, Music Ally also offers in-house learning and development, uh, as well as marketing strategy and Im implementation for labels just like Tommy Boy. So if you want to be like Tommy Boy, one of the, my favorite labels of all time, connect with uh, Anthony or Anthony at musically.com. So talk to Anthony to find out more and set up a call, plus to ask about the possibility of a, um, of a gratis subscription to Music Ally, which is available to some people, uh, especially independent operators. That's Anthony at musically.com. You can follow Music Ally at Music Ally on Twitter, at Music Ally FB on Facebook. But uh, Hen uh, of, of CD Baby, thank you very much for joining us uh, and for your insight and hope to see you again here soon. Uh, how can people contact you if they want to get in touch? Um, they can email me at henrietta at cdbaby.com or I can share it. Are you guys sending any resources out to anybody afterwards? I'm going to um, say yes. Yes, yes we can possibly do that. Um, yes. I'm going to, I want to, because Joe just did such a good job of, we have to do a little bit of sales here, guys. We're all trying to, you know, keep the, keep the boat afloat, which we're usually on. I want to say about Hen, um, one of my favorite women in the music industry, cares about independent artists, works for CD Baby, um, 
and has come and spoken to my students in Norway. Um, I every time I pass on her email address, I feel like not bad for, for but she's going to help them, and I know that she is. She helps independent artists. She works really hard. Uh, her and the whole team at CD Baby do that for us, and really, really help a lot of artists that don't have a clue. So we're trying to make this thing here, which is the idea of, of course, we love our DIYs, and we want to help you succeed and get off the ground. But we also want to understand what it's like to come from Tommy Boy Records and somewhere in between as an industry we can support each other um, and I also I've also quite like Joe Sparrow so there you go thank you, but, uh, thank you so much for coming today Han and Joe thank you for being a wonderful host thank you very much thank you for thank you for having me uh, and Patrick thank you for your insight uh, as always uh, and that's it I've been Joe Sparrow here in Berlin Patrick's been Patrick in London and yeah. Hen has been Hen in, also in London uh, so thank you kindly everybody uh, and uh, hope to see you again soon